Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. One reason, one hope, one purpose that we get to say it is well. And that's because Jesus has come. Jesus has come into this world that is wrecked with sin, that has all kind of strife and conflict, and he has come into this world to declare a message. His message is peace. Would you take your Bible today and join me in Matthew chapter 5 as we continue considering the Beatitudes today, and we'll be at verse 9 today. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. I had an experience the other day, something that has just become uh, more than happenstance. It's almost routine now. When I take my children around in my car, they ask me to play them a song. And so we play all sorts of songs when we're together, but the other day they always ask me, all right, sometimes they pick the song and other times I pick the song, and they ask me to pick a song. And so, you know, you hear songs oftentimes, we were on this song for a long time, got sort of stuck on it, and I'm, you know, sort of tired of that song, so we play it to death, and so how about this song, try to introduce a new song to them. And so the other day they asked me to pick a song, and I thought of a song that I hadn't heard in a while, and I said, well, okay, what, uh, we might as well play this one. And I played, We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. Now, how many of you know that song? How many of you can say every word of that song? Now, listen to me, listen. Stop saying the song in your mind, all right? We know how powerful that song can be. Uh, And I want to say this, never underestimate the power of a song. My son, when we finished playing the song, after however long it was, he looked at me and he said, Daddy, I like that song. And I said, that's good, son. That's great. I'm glad you like that song. But I was thinking as I was introducing my children to this song, and if you know anything about the song, you know the song tells a story about the conflict that the world faces. And here are my two innocent children in the back seat. And I'm thinking to them, they have no idea what is in this world and the conflict that this world faces. I believe that we should never underestimate the power of a song. And the truth of the matter is that the songwriters and artists today, they are the cultural philosophers. You want to know what our society values? You want to know where we are as a society? Then just simply listen to the music. But the best song, And I say this maybe a little slanted because I'm a country music fan, but I believe that the best songs are songs that are born out of great conflict. Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, like many other songs, tell the story. The story of a world that is desperate for peace. The story of a world that since the early stages of creation has really never experienced any lasting And the Bible begins with peace, but it quickly escalates to conflict. The Bible, see, early on in the Bible, we see the devil causing a division between God and his creation. We see the devil causing division between husband and wife. We see a war between two brothers as one rises up against the other and he kills the other. And for the first time, very early in the first pages of Scripture, we see human blood spilt on the earth at the hands of another. The Bible says this in Romans. It says that sin came into the world through one man. And 
death through sin. And so death has spread to all men because all sinned. You know, Billy Joel was almost right. We didn't start the fire. It has always been burning since the world's been turning. But the truth is, is that we just kept it going. Instead of just keeping the fire going, we have added a little fuel to the flame. So the question that we have to ask in this world that is desperate for peace, listen to the music, listen to the songs, listen to the way that we speak, even with the song It Is Well that we just sang, there's this idea of this conflict that's in the world and this, uh, this confrontation of this conflict and this resolution of this conflict. And so we have to say, is there in this world that is troubled, is there a solution? Is there any hope for this world? And as a gospel preacher, on the authority of the Word of God, I can definitively stand before you today and say with every absolution, yes, there is hope for the world. The solution to the end that the conflict of the world faces came to us one night. Do you remember? What was the message that the angels declared as Jesus was born? Do you remember in, in Luke chapter 2? We have the angel of the Lord appearing to the shepherds it says the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were filled with fear. We oftentimes think that it's a natural reaction for the angels, for us to be uh, afraid of angels or when God shows His presence. But what does God always say when He shows Himself? The next thing that He says is do not fear. He says fear not, the angel said, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. This one is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, listen to the message, glory to God in the highest. And at Jesus' birth, what was the declaration? Peace among those whom God is pleased. The first message that announced the arrival of Christ was a message of peace. You see, listen carefully. That night was not simply a declaration of peace. Not just simply saying peace. This declaration would soon be followed by a demonstration where that little baby Jesus would grow up this little baby who was Lord at His birth would grow up to one day secure peace for the world. And He did that by ending the hostilities. And He did that through shedding His own blood on the cross. He bled for the sins of every man. If you think about Christ's ministry, His entire ministry was a ministry of peace. His entire ministry was a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of restoring fellowship that had been lost between God and man. If we look at the pages of Scripture, we, we see Jesus, His whole ministry. We see Him loving. We see Him healing. We see Him forgiving. And we see Jesus restoring peace to the world. And here's the good part. The ministry of Christ continues today. And that ministry where those angels declared peace on the world, that, that tiny seed of peace, we should say, is soon beginning to spread the whole earth as we take that gospel of peace into every place 
And as we take that message of peace into a world that is hostile, and we, see there, we say there is a king who has come, and that king came in the midst of the hostile world, even gave his own life to secure peace, and now we say that peace, because we are here preaching this Jesus to you, we can say peace now comes to the world. So we continue His ministry of peace. And one day we understand that that peace will cover the entire earth, the Bible says in Joel, as the waters cover the sea. So today in Matthew chapter 5, we get to consider our place in this ministry of peace. As we hear a word from the Prince of Peace in the seventh beatitude of Matthew chapter 5. Let's read the Bible together. Hear the word of our Lord. Beginning in verse 1 of Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray together. Father, we love You. We come to this time as souls who are thirsty, souls who need the satisfaction that only Christ can give. And Father, we seek that satisfaction through Your Word now in the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we, Lord God, lay ourselves before You and ask You, O God, in this moment, touch our hearts with Your Word. Fill our every longing with only that which satisfies. Help us today to see Jesus clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, from Matthew 5, 9, I want to give you three truths. Hopefully, as we begin to paint the portrait of the peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They're the ones who are going to be called sons of God. So today, I want to give us three marks of the portrait of the peacemaker. Christ has called us to be peacemakers. And so what on earth does a peacemaker look like? Well, number one this morning, and I hope you're taking notes. Number one, a peacemaker is a person who knows the conflict that the world faces. Now, I want you to look at that text before you today. Notice that the text, the word that we're considering today, is not peacekeepers. Do you see that? The word is not peacekeepers. The word is peacemakers. Listen to me carefully today. Until Christ returns, until the kingdoms of this world becomes the kingdom of our Christ, and He reigns forever and ever, until then, we are at war. Now, our conflict this morning and this day is not against flesh and blood. Our conflict is over rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, the powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil, in heavenly places, Ephesians 6.12. So that's who we fight against. Not against flesh and blood, but against these powers and principalities. But here's the good news. Read a little more. After Ephesians comes a book 
called Colossians. And Colossians tells us that these powers, even though they're great, they have been disarmed and they have been triumphed over. As well as these powers whom we wage war against, they have been put to shame openly by Jesus Christ through His triumph over them in the cross. And listen carefully to me. Though we are at war with a great foe, greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. So today we fight these forces every day. And you know that you fight the forces. I don't have to convince you if you're a believer that you fight these forces every day. We fight them externally, but we also fight them internally. Read the Bible, Romans chapter 7. It tells a story of a Christian wrestling with these powers. Listen to the language. This is Paul writing. He's talking about this wrestling that he has with this present evil uh, that's in the world, these rules and authorities. Listen to the language. He says this, I find it to be a law that when I do what is right, this is Paul saying, I'm trying to live like a believer. This is the Apostle Paul. Hopefully that encourages you. He's struggling to live out his call. He says, when I... Uh, desire to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. He says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, listen to the language, I see in my members another law. And then what is this law doing? Listen to the way Paul puts it. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So we who are Christians, we know that the conflict that the world faces, we know that there is a real and present danger in our world, and so we know better to go into the world and declare a message of peace when there is no peace. The only thing right in the world, listen carefully, the only thing good in the world is Jesus. Anything else is not so good. No matter how good it may be, and it can be good, Anything outside of the bounds of Jesus Christ, anything outside of His Lordship, will not last. So we know better than to declare peace, to have the world think that everything's alright when everything is not alright. No matter how good of a person someone may be, if they don't know Jesus, they're lost. So we then go into the world not declaring peace when there is no peace. We go declaring a message of hope that's found only in Jesus Christ. Christ and in Him alone. Now in Newnan, uh, on the road that my mom grew up on, there was the steep hill in the middle of her neighborhood. And this hill became known as Thrill Hill. And you can probably guess why it became known as Thrill Hill. This hill is so steep. I mean, it's almost like it's out and it belongs in San Francisco somewhere. This hill is so steep that if you go too fast over this hill in your car, you will literally leave the ground and come plummeting back to earth. Matter of fact, I can remember that growing up as a boy and looking at there, there were a few scars in the hill where some cars had left the, left the ground and come back down and, and, you know, tore up their front end, rear end, and all the rest. And so the city knew, uh, and by the way, some of those scars were uh, some, of my, some of the ones that my daddy left, but anyway, that's another story for another day. So the city knew that there was danger at this hill, even though it was called Thrill Hill. Uh, and I can always imagine what it would have been like for one of those construction workers on one of them big old steam rollers, you know, going down and up that hill. I've always had that image in my mind, but I've never been there when they pave it. 
But some of the, the city knew that there was danger there. And so the first thing they did was they put up a caution light. Well, uh, the thrill seekers didn't listen to the caution light, so the next thing they did was, well, they put up a stop sign. The reason that the city was doing that is because the city knew that there was danger. And so they went to great lengths to make sure that people knew that there was danger in this hill. They put up a caution light. People didn't listen to the caution light. So the next thing they did was put up a stop sign. And I guess if anyone ever dies on the hill, then they'll just pave the whole hill and start over. They've done that in a few places in my hometown anyway. And so listen, the city then is, is desiring to make sure that the people know that there is genuine danger ahead. And in the same way we take this message of the gospel to the world, we're not seeking to simply appease the world. We're seeking to bring peace to the world. We don't want people to think that everything is okay, pacify them as they plummet off the, off the hill. We want them to make sure that there is not peace in the world. Here's the difference. Appeasement is me saying that I want a Mustang. And then someone letting me borrow their Mustang. That's appeasing me, right? But bringing peace to my conflict, my situation, would be me going out and buying a Mustang or someone giving me a Mustang. That would really bring peace. And hopefully you see the difference between appeasement and peace. There is a real difference. We don't want to appease the world. Because there is real danger in the world. But here's the truth that we have. The truth that we hold is that even though there is great danger, there's an even greater peace. And peace has a name. Peace has a face. Our one Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, the world believes, unfortunately, that all roads lead to God. Jesus says, some roads that you travel, they may imitate a thrill. But in reality, those roads that you travel will leave you plummeting off a cliff to your own destruction. The world believes that what they attempt to bring peace in the world will actually bring peace into the world, whether it's through humanitarian efforts or some great efforts. They think that if they are attempting to bring peace outside of Jesus, then they'll have some kind of lasting peace. Well, that's been going on for many thousands of years, and you can see how little progress we've made in the whole advancement of peace. You see, here's the truth. Jesus is bringing peace to the world. And this peace that Jesus has brought to, is bringing to the world is a peace that He gave His own life to secure. And we have to know the conflict that the world faces before we can offer a solution. Now this is very important. I hope that you're listening closely. We have to be resolute in this place here. We have to know what the conflict is what the peace that the world needs before we go out and offer them peace. And I believe, and I am so convinced of this as a gospel preacher, I think that we are, as the people of God, we are too quick to jump to ethics without first considering theology. We are quick to focus on what we should be doing. Let's do something. Without asking the questions, why is it that we're doing what we're doing? Doing the right thing is more important than doing something simply to be doing something. You agree with that? And I hear this all the time in church talk. I won't ever forget 
that there was a billboard in my hometown that, that there was a church advertising themselves, and I want to give the church the benefit of the doubt as much as I can, but there was this picture of this elderly lady with glasses. She looked sort of mean and nasty, and uh, the sign on the church said, Not your grandma's church. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I love my grandma, and my grandmama loved Jesus. I was a little offensive, but I knew the message that they were trying to get. Or you hear uh, the language that when we try to sell ourselves to the world as a church, we say, come and hear relevant messages, we tell the world. Relevant messages, we tell the world. And I've often wondered what it is that people think when they hear the term a relevant message. Because here I come at it at an angle of a gospel preacher. And I don't think that there's anything more relevant than this message that we have that Jesus Christ is both the salvation and the satisfaction of your souls. I know what some places say when they mean that, and at least I, I hope that they're talking about, you know, we want to make sure that you're teaching clear and making sure that everything, you know, you're not teaching above anybody's heads or below anybody. You're making sure that everybody's got what we have. But I think that we need to make sure that we are focusing our heart's effort on why we do what we do, as well as what it is that we do. The why has to come before the what. If we're just going out doing something without knowing what it is that we're doing, then are we, can we really be sure that what we're doing is what we should be doing? We believe in the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of souls. Listen to me this morning. People need clothes. People need social ministries. They need Food, and we'll give it to them as much as we're able. We will give it to them. But what good is a hot meal? What good is warm clothes? If that person whom we give the warm clothes and the hot meal to lose their eternal soul in hell, there is a world to be won. And the only way to win the world is by loving our neighbor as ourselves. And the greatest way that we can love our neighbor as ourselves is, yes, we go out, we clothe them, yes, we feed them, yes, we make sure that they feel the love of Jesus through us, but we don't end there. We make sure that they know that there's only one solution for their souls. And it's not a social ministry. It's a Savior who came to seek and save the lost one. I heard a story once of a church calling a business meeting to spend money on a new chandelier. There was big discussion before the meeting, which is, you know, just what happens anytime you start talking about spending money at a church. And so they started talking about calling forward to spend money on this new chandelier. And so the moderator stood up. He said, can I have a second? There was a second. Is there any discussion? And then, of course, at this point, a member of the church stood up and said, I'd like to speak. And the gentleman said, Sir, I don't see any reason for us to get a new chandelier. I don't know many of us who can even spell chandelier, let alone anybody in this church who knows how to even play one. What we need to be talking about is how to have lights in the church instead of talking about how to have a new chandelier. Now the gentleman was really good, right? He, he was focusing on the right things. But he was focusing on doing over being. We need to focus on being, what it is the world needs. Then when we determine what the world needs, then we can take the, what they need to them. And it may be that we take what they need in the form of a hot meal. It may mean that we take what they need in the form of a, a pair of new shoes. We don't just simply leave it there. 
What souls need is salvation. What people need is a peace that will satisfy the conflict in their hearts. And there's only one person who has brought peace. There's only one person who who has secured peace. And so before we do, we best make sure that what we are doing is what we need to be doing. And this is where a good theology comes in. Think about this. Is there one way for us to deal with every problem in the world? Now, there's a lot of problems in the world. But I want to tell you the problem in the world is not sex trafficking. That's an egregious problem. The problem in the world is not hunger. The problem in the world is not poverty. The problem that the world faces, and all of these things, as horrible as they are, are devastating results of one major problem. Can we do anything as a body of believers? Can we who hope in Jesus do anything to bring peace in every situation, no matter the situation? Yes. What is it that we can do? We can preach reconciliation. We can preach Christ as the salvation and the satisfaction of every soul. Every person on the planet, every prisoner in the prisons, anyone facing a problem needs one thing. And the one thing is the message that we have. They need to be reconciled with God through Christ. And so we then go to the hedges. We then go to the highways. We go to those who are underserved and underprivileged. And we go to them and we bring them humanitarian effort. But when we do, we say to them that there is one thing that will satisfy. And that brings us to a question. If every man needs peace, every man needs peace, and our job is to preach peace, then how far, to what lengths do we go to proclaim peace? And you know how far we go? We go to the ends of the earth. Every place preaching this message of peace. You see, this is why Paul when he came to the Corinthians, what did he say? He said, I resolved to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. Now, there was a lot of problems in the Corinthian church. Read the Bible. A lot of problems. But he said that the one solution for every problem, no matter if it was bickering between believers or a, a man sleeping with his stepmother, whatever the case may be, immorality, rampant, there was one solution for every problem. Christ crucified. And so we go to the hedges, we go to the highways, we go to the ends of the earth and we proclaim peace. And then how is it that we then proclaim peace? And this is where it gets good. This is where we need to really think about how it is that we do what we do. How do we proclaim peace to the world? And the answer is as we go. Jesus said, as you go, make disciples of all nations. So what does that mean? As we go, we 
feed the hungry. We, we tell the hungry that there is a bread that always satisfies. As we go and we see that lonely co-worker at, at work or that lonely student at school who sits by themselves, we go to them and we tell them that there is a Savior who will never leave them nor will He ever forsake them. When all of your friends desert you, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother and His name is Jesus. We go and we see someone who feels unloved. We tell them of the limitless love of a Savior who gave His life to be their Savior. Everyone needs peace. And Christ both has come to give us peace as well as He has called you and me to take this peace and declare this peace to the world. Blessed are the peacemakers. The second portrait this morning of a peacemaker. Number two is of course if we're going to proclaim peace then we ourselves have to be at peace. It's not enough for us to be inauthentic. The world needs authenticity. The world doesn't need a band-aid for their problems. The world needs a solution. The world needs a remedy. The world needs reconciliation. And so if we're going to be peacemakers, if we're going to proclaim peace, then we have to ourselves first be at peace. I heard a story one time of a family was gathered at the hospital bed of their grandmother who was dying. They called the preacher in and he sat with the family and he looked at the poor lady and he said, ma'am, have you made your peace with God? She hesitated. She smiled. And she said, no. And the whole family just about lost it. Here, this grandmother is who has been preaching Jesus to them all their life. And the pastor asked, have you made your peace with God? And she says, no. And right before everyone was to burst out in crying, she said, he has made his peace with me. And that lady was closer than most of us. Because that's the reality. That lady had a good theology. Listen carefully. God has made his peace with us. Finally and for all time. Because the Bible says that the Son came to seek and save the lost ones. And Christ has secured our peace. And the way that He has secured our peace is by the blood of His cross. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen to me. The only way to be a peacemaker is for us to first Receive the peace that God has given us through Jesus Christ. Look at the Beatitudes. Look at where we've been. Look at the progression as Jesus is taking and showing us how this chain of blessedness is linked together. Look at the Beatitudes. Who are the peacemakers? The peacemakers are the meek. The peacemakers are, are those who are freed from self. The peacemakers are those who see the world through the lens of a cross. The peacemakers are those who are freed from any self-interest and any self-concern. Peacemakers are consumed with the ethic of the cross. And you say, what do you mean when you say the ethics of the cross? Here's what I mean. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. Peacemakers have this mind in themselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Peacemakers do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, they count others more significant than themselves. 
Peacemakers are those who look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. They are those who have this mind in themselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but Jesus emptied Himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient, listen, to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what came as a result of Christ's obedience? Do you remember what the rest of the verse says? Do you remember? The rest of the verse says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him a name that is greater than any name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what's, what's the rest of the verse? What is the name? The rest of the verse tells us. What's it say? That every tongue should confess. What's His name? That He is Lord. Look at the Beatitude in verse 9. Look at it. Blessed are the peacemakers. Do you see that? They shall be called sons of God. Number three this morning. A peacemaker is a person who pursues peace. Just as the Son came to us Pursuing us. Bringing peace to us. He commands us to do the same. I love John's great commission passage. In all four Gospels and the book of Acts, there is a great commission of our Lord. See, I love the way the Bible's written, and I hope that you pay attention. We have the fourfold Gospel in the beginning. That tells us the why before we do the what. Why do the epistles follow? Because it tells us the reason why we do what we do because Jesus has done what He has done. The indicative always comes before the imperative. That is, who we are always comes before what it is that we do. Indicative before imperative. Imperative, this command. Indicative, this reality. He speaks, so the fourfold gospel is first. And then from the fourfold Gospel, it tells us how it is that we should live. And so think about this. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's the Great Commission in Matthew 28. In the Gospel of Mark, in Mark 16, there's the Great Commission. In Luke, it's there. In John, it's there. In Acts, it's there. Then the rest of the Acts tells the story of the church carrying out Christ's commission. So you have what has happened, then you have the results of what happened. And I love the way that John declares his Great Commission passage. Listen to what it says. This is Jesus after the resurrection. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. As the Father has sent me, now Jesus says, I am sending you. And what did He declare before He said that? Peace be. You see, the read the Bible, and this is so rich, so good. I wish I could just spend a little time right here. Read the Bible. And you remember what happened in Genesis? On the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. 
And then all of a sudden we enter the narrative again in Genesis chapter 3 and we see God, His rest being interrupted by God making something. Do you remember what He made in Genesis 3? He made animal skins to cover the nakedness of man and woman after they had sinned and fallen from His grace. And then fast forward to what we have when Jesus is dying on the cross. What's He say? Tetelestai. It is finished. Paid in full. Peace secured forever. So then He comes to the disciples. He's fixing to ascend to the Father. And what does He say to them? He says to them the message that the world has been longing to hear. He says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent Me, even so send I you. He came as the Prince of Peace to make peace. We are His peacemakers. We are those who pursue peace. You see, listen, if, if you're content with the status quo of your own spirituality or your own family's life or you're content with your neighbor's own spiritual life or the neighborhood or this county, if you're content with the status quo of this church, you're not a peacemaker. Because a peacemaker is not content with the status quo. A peacemaker is not seeking trouble. Listen carefully. But in the midst of trouble, they're willing to do whatever it takes to bring about peace. Ronald Reagan was right. Listen to what he said. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. And listen to your pastor this morning. There is no greater way to handle conflict than to preach Jesus as the salvation and satisfaction of every soul. Listen. Even if when we preach that message, it costs us our lives. Even when we preach that message, it costs us our job. Even if we preach that message and it costs us our family and our friends. Even if that message conflicts with every other message, we are peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And so we proclaim peace. You see, pursuing peace doesn't mean we're seeking appeasement. To just pacify and coddle the world and think that everything's okay. Peacemakers are not easygoing people. They are people who are troubled by the lack of peace. And in every situation, they seek to make peace, even if seeking that peace costs them their own lives. I think a peacemaker is pretty easy to spot. A peacemaker is one who doesn't say much. But when he or she does speak, people listen. Now this is opposite of the other guy, the, the quarrel maker. The guy who has trouble or the gal who has trouble controlling the tongue. Peacemakers, no, they're the ones who uh, don't run their mouth at anything and everything. They're the ones who are silent, but sure. I was in a church one time and I had an individual come up to me and, and say really some nasty things to me. I'll never forget it. And then this person had the audacity after they saw my face and the hurt that they had caused on me, they looked at me and they said, well, at least I said it to your face. At least I didn't say it behind your back. To which I responded, that's true. 
You didn't say it behind my back. But that's not the problem. The problem is not that you didn't say it behind my back. The problem is that you said it at all. There's some things that don't need to be said, whether it's to a face or behind the back. Peacemakers are those who know when to speak and who know when not to speak. I think James was right when he said that the tongue was the smallest way to see a forest set ablaze. And I know some, I know some, maybe some of you here today, who would do well to practice peacemaking in the way that we speak. Oh, not just to people's faces, but behind people's backs. And I think about the, uh, the craze that we have, is, and I think it's an epidemic, honestly, in our society, this thing called social media. Golly, I'll say this, we need more peacemakers on Facebook and Twitter. We need more people who are willing to not be so self-interested and self-concerned. And you don't have to reply to everything. You don't have to say everything. We need peacemakers in this world. A peacemaker is also one who goes out of their way to think of others. Being a peacemaker doesn't mean that you're just idly sitting by. Remember what Jesus said? What did He say? If your enemy is hungry, if they're thirsty, if they're naked, and we go to them. Go out of your way to meet the needs of others. And if someone is not at peace with you, then you go to them and you take the peace to them. And the Bible says, live at peace with all men as much as you are able. It doesn't say as much as they're able with you. It says, live at peace with all men as much as you are able. You see, peacemakers take the initiative. Here's the reason. We go to our neighbors. We don't wait for them to come to us asking for bread. We go make an excuse. Maybe we don't even need bread. We just need to knock on the door and say, hey man, you got any bread and eggs? And by the way, can I tell you that Jesus loves you? We go and we take the initiative. You know why? Because we understand that God has taken the initiative to seek and save us. Come to think of it this morning, peacemakers, I believe, are the most approachable people there are in this world. You know why the world hated Jesus? You know why the Pharisees hated Jesus? Well, one of the reasons is He was a friend of sinners. He came seeking and saving the lost ones. Jesus came to this world with an olive branch of peace, not with an arrow. Jesus came with an olive branch, and I wonder if the same can be said of me and you. If we are quick to preach peace to the world, if people can come and approach us without any fear of us judging them for who they are. Listen to me this morning. And I want to ask you, at the end of this message, are you convinced this morning that the world's one problem is a sin problem? Are you convinced that no amount of sinning is greater than the salvation that Jesus offers? Have you received the peace of God through Jesus Christ? Are you pursuing peace with the world? Hear what God says. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. I didn't even get to say this, but it's good. You see that word called there? You see it? It means owned. It speaks of ownership. So here's what the Bible is clear about. If our motivation is not the peace of the world, we have to evaluate whether or not we have the right to be called sons of God. 
world needs peace. And only Jesus can bring peace to the world. Our job is to tell the world that the battle is over. Our job is to tell the world to cease striving and know that He is God. Our message to the world is that there is no more fighting, no more war, no need for striving against God. Our message to the world is that God has sent His only Son into the world to be our peace. Lord in heaven, please make us peacemakers. Would you pray with me? God, we love You. And we are grateful for the way that You love us. We're thankful, Lord, that You decided to come into a hostile place, to come and bring a message of peace to the world. And Father, I pray for those here. Maybe they're not at peace. The reason they know why they're not at peace is because they are striving to earn their own salvation instead of laying their lives down before Jesus. Jesus has already given peace. He's already secured peace. And Father, now He calls every person to come unto Him. So for that one, Lord God, who needs peace today, I pray that they would respond to You. Maybe for the first time. Maybe today they just need to make it sure. And they would ask You, Lord God, to be their peace. Father, for others who are not peacemakers, Will they evaluate in their lives whether or not they know the peace of God? Father, for others, would you bring to our mind this morning maybe that person, that group, that neighbor who we need to go and be a peacemaker towards and give us the strength to declare peace to them. So many decisions that need to be made here. As we are confronted by your word today, we pray that you would give us the grace that we need to be all that you've called us to be. And we thank you, Lord God, for doing this. Even in a message like this, you're calling us close to yourself. And even though it may be difficult, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.